Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Good. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have a difficult assignment for you, or I should say it's difficult if you have a memory like mine. I need you to think back to the year 2005. I know. I know. If you have a memory like mine, it's a difficult assignment. Okay? But take a minute. I want to, I'll help you out here too. I'll help you out. I'll give you some ideas about what the year 2005 was all about. But I want us to think back uh, to the year 2005. What year is it now? 2017. Good. Most of you are awake. That's excellent. So those of you that are good at math, how many years ago was 2005? 12 years ago. So think back 12 years ago. Here to help us out, we'll have a couple pictures on the screen to help us out of things that, will, that occurred in 2005. Hurricane Katrina, and the next one is the disappearance of Natalie Holloway from Aruba. You may remember these news stories. It was George W. Bush's second term began in 2005, and now some important things. Uh, the movie, the significant movie that year was episode three of Star Wars. But actually, I'm not sure why I showed you that, because Star Wars one, two, and three really don't count. So, <clears throat> right. Uh, Carrie Underwood won of season four of American Idol and launched her into superstardom. That was 2005. Uh, here's a couple of interesting ones. Doesn't it feel like we've always been able to go to YouTube to watch something? YouTube was born in 2005. And here's another interesting one. In 2005, Netflix was just mailing DVDs to our, mail, our snail mail post office box. 2005, Netflix was not even streaming content online yet. 12 years ago. It's a long time, right? So where were you 12 years ago? Think for a minute. What was life like in 2005? Okay, some of you weren't even born in 2005. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> Those of you that were born after, before 2005, think about what life was like. How old were you? What was life like? What was different then? Uh, for me, uh, let's see. For me, I was in camp ministry, working full-time at a Christian camp in Northern California. Uh, this was before I went back to get my seminary education and get back into church ministry. Uh, for me, 12 years ago would have been only one, having only, uh, Amy and I were having only one kid. Now we have four uh, 2005 for me would be Amy and I having only been married six years at the time. Now we're coming up on 18 later this month. Yeah. 18. Where were you in 2005? How old were you? What do you remember? Does that feel like a long time ago? In some ways? In some ways, no. In some ways, yes, perhaps. Okay, grab your Bibles, and if you would, and I'll, as we get going here, you'll see why I was thinking about 12 years back. Grab your Bibles. Hope you got one with you. If you don't, we'd love to give you one. If you don't own one, just ask us. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 21 in a minute. So the first four books of your New Testament, the back portion of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are stories about the life and ministry of Jesus, the God-man who we are studying about. And we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 5 at verse 21. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we would hear from you. So God, desiring that we would hear from you this morning, 
I pray in the words of the psalmist in the Bible, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Teach us, we pray. Help us to hear and respond to know you more today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. This keeps happening, right? And he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed and thronged about him. Uh, We'll keep your finger there in Mark, and we'll keep going back to God's word as we talk this morning. But I just want to stop there for a moment and first make note of Jairus' posture. Look at Jairus' approach and the method and his posture in approaching Jesus. If I demonstrate his posture, I am now out of sight to most of you because I am prostrate on the floor at the feet of Jesus. This is where we find Jairus as the story opens. We see Jairus' need and his sincerity, putting himself at the feet of Jesus. And I want us to put ourselves in the story. I know I often invite you to do this. Put yourself in the story here. So what are some things we, how can we possibly relate to Jairus? Some of us may relate to Jairus a little bit more than others. Uh, For me, it's very easy to relate to Jairus at this moment because verse 42, as we'll get to it in a few minutes, tells us that his daughter is 12 years old. I have two daughters. One's 11 and one's 13. Put ourselves in in the shoes of Jairus and he comes to Jesus prostrate and imploring. My little daughter is at the point of death and the phrase there phrase there that he uses, he's, he's saying, she's at death's door. She's sinking fast. And then in verse 24, we see Jesus' intention, because by going with Jairus, Jesus, the God-man, fully God, and fully present in human form, Jesus, because Jesus is who Jesus is, goes with him. And we see by the fact that Jesus goes with Jairus, his intention to respond to Jairus' request to come to the aid of his daughter. But instead of getting right to Jairus' daughter, our story, our Bible story here this morning takes a, a, a detour. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood Wait, what? I thought we were talking about Jairus and his daughter, and and Jesus was going to go and help her. Verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for how many years? Twelve years before this passage takes place, a baby was born, Jairus' daughter, and a woman started bleeding. 2005 seems like a long time ago in some ways. 
And as we, as we jump into God's word right here, 12 years ago, a baby girl was born, Jairus' daughter. And this woman started suffering with continual, ongoing, some kind of disease, some kind of physical problem, bleeding. Verse 26, and she had suffered much under many physicians who had, and she had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather worse. Twelve years. It's a long time to be in her condition, isn't it? That's why I had us reflect to 2005. That's why I wanted us to feel what 12 years ago was like. This woman is broke because she's wasted all of her money on, on the, the, the latest and greatest and not so greatest cures of all those doctors of her time. And after all of wasting that money and trying their efforts at healing her, she's find herself no better, but actually worse. And worse than her physical condition, although that sounds miserable, worse than, perhaps worse than her physical condition is that she is completely socially outcast. Because of the Old Testament uh, purity laws, the ceremonial cleanliness laws, this woman, because of her bleeding, w- would have been a social outcast. She was to have no contact with people. And it wasn't just her once a month thing, it was her ongoing problem that kept her isolated from people. That sounds miserable, but, but for a moment, if I might, think about Jairus' daughter and then this woman. Jairus, the father, has expressed, she's sinking fast. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years if I, might, if, I, if I might say so, on the surface at least, it seems like Jairus' daughter is a much more urgent situation. This woman's been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus could come and help her out, perhaps in a different timing. It sure seems like the Jairus' daughter situation is more urgent. But here's Jesus passing through this crowd with this woman uh, looking for him. Verse 27. The woman had heard the reports about Jesus, and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment because she had said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. As we've been studying through the book of Mark, we've seen in previous passages efforts to touch Jesus, crowds coming to him and efforts to touch him. As we continue to study the book of Mark, we will again see times when people uh, are, are pushing up towards Jesus in an effort to touch him. But I do want to say here that this woman's efforts, it's probably, it, it's probably important for us to note that this woman's efforts are at least somewhat misguided. She has, she has hope. She knows that Jesus is, is doing miraculous things. She wants to be rid of her suffering, so she's pursuing Jesus. Those are all good things, but her efforts to grab at his clothing might be at, at, a little misguided, perhaps influenced by uh, a magical um, desires or, or, I should say, um, you know, superstition or, or traditions of that time that would say that a person's power could be transferred through their clothing. And so, so even if she's not totally uh, thinking correctly about how to receive help from Jesus, 
She goes to him, she touches him, and we find that even if her effort was misguided, Jesus perceives that her act, that her stepping out, that her pursuing him is based on trust that Jesus can help her. He perceives that if her efforts, if her methods aren't perfect, her heart is expressing faith in Jesus' sufficiency to rescue her from, from her situation. Verse 29. And immediately, immediately, she touched his garment, immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Twelve years is a long time, right? And right there, she knows that she's been healed. Verse 30 says, Jesus, this is so interesting to me. Jesus, she felt in her body that she was healed. Jesus felt that some power had gone out from him. And it almost sounds comical. It almost sounds accidental. Like Jesus didn't mean it. But, but, but let's look at that in a minute. Um, Jesus says, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples kind of feel like this is a little funny thing for him to say, verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it again. It's so much more fun when we put ourselves in the story and imagine the situation. Jesus is, is, is walking on his way to Jairus' daughter. The crowds are thronging to him, pushing to touch him, wanting to be near him. If I walked down the aisle, it would be like all of you guys surging to the aisle and knocking me and hitting me and grabbing and reaching for me. And then he says, who touched me? And his disciples were going, you mean besides Everybody? But what they didn't know is that Jesus had sensed that the power had gone out from him. And, and so, again, this isn't, this isn't magic. This isn't superstition. This isn't, hey, touch some clothes, get some power. Try it to your neighbor. Touch their clothes, get some power. No, this isn't what happened. What happened was God responded our great God responded to this woman's faith by sending healing power through Jesus. That's what I think happened. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, knowing what had happened to her, knowing that after 12 years she'd been healed, came to Jesus in fear and trembling and fell down before him and did something I think we all need to do more often and told him the whole truth because he knows it already anyway, friends. He sees you in all your beauty and in all your God image bearing and in all your flaws. This woman comes before him and tells him the whole truth. Verse 34, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Um, in verse 33, Mark links her fear 
her fear and trembling to knowing what had happened to her. She was in awe of God's power. She was in awe of the God-man and so appropriately responded with respectful awe, fear of the Lord, came before him trembling and told him the whole truth. And she now, like Jairus has done, had done, prostrates herself on the ground before him. Look at her posture. Look at her approach. Coming to Jesus. I was thinking, why did, it seems like Jesus called her out. You know, she, she touched his clothes, she received power and she received healing, and then he goes, who touched me? And in this crowd, he's drawing attention to someone who perhaps doesn't want attention drawn to her. And it seems like he calls her out. Like, I want to know who it is. Show yourself. Who touched me? And at first, it might sound like he's trying to call her out, but it's not in a negative way. Not, not trying to bring attention to her in a bad way like she got in trouble. I think Jesus says, who touched me? Because he gives her an opportunity to come to him. And... With that move, with that question, Jesus ensures that a woman that came to him anonymous, unknown, having thinking she had to sneak up behind him to get help, by saying who touched me, Jesus ensures that she will leave being known that she will leave knowing how much God cares. I thought Jairus' daughter was more urgent. Jairus' daughter's at the brink of death. But Jesus says to the woman that's bleeding, you're worth my time. And friends, Some of you need to hear this morning from your great, loving, heavenly Father. You're worth his time. No matter what's going on, no matter how much suffering you feel you have, no matter what your day-to-day looks like, you're worth his time. He knows who you are. This woman is nameless in our story, but she's known by the God-man. She tells him the whole truth. She comes to him publicly. She acknowledges what Jesus has done for her. Remember last week, we were talking about the importance of telling those around us what Jesus has done. She comes to him and tells him what he has done for her. So it's not, it's not the magical power in his clothes. It's her faith that brought healing and, and rescue. And here's where we really want to, want to think to this morning. Her faith not only brought her physical healing, not only stopped the flow of blood, but her faith brought salvation from sin and salvation from death. It brought her into new life. Yes, the blood dried up. And oh, by the way, she had spent a lot of money on a lot of doctors for a lot of nothing. And you know what that shows us? that where where other sources of healing have failed, 
Jesus succeeds. Faith in Jesus sometimes makes one physically well, but even better, faith in Jesus always makes someone spiritually well. Sometimes physically well, always spiritually well, eternally well. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And here's probably one of my favorite parts of this whole section. How does Jesus address her? Daughter, this is the only place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus addresses someone in this way. Daughter. And if you know about our family, you'll know why this is so incredible to me. Those that don't have family, those that are isolated, those that are without, this woman is isolated, she's an outcast, she's suffering, she's unknown. We don't even know her name in this passage. But through faith in Jesus, she is daughter. She is brought into the family of God. Apart from him, suffering, outcast, alone, miserable, and addressed by the God-man as daughter brought into his family, rescued, given new life now and forever. And all of that happens, all of that with the woman happens while Jairus is standing nearby, waiting, watching, and thinking of his daughter, who he had told Jesus was sinking fast. Maybe Jairus is a lot more godly than me. But I wouldn't have been thinking happy thoughts over here. I would have wanted Jesus to come to my daughter. Hey, go to her later. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Can you go back and do that later? Jairus has been waiting and thinking of his daughter. And now hopefully your finger is still in the Bible there. Let's look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? You know what's under those words? You know what's under the surface of those words, I think? Jesus is just a teacher. Jesus, he seems to have some influence, and he seems to be doing some cool things, but your daughter's dead. That's beyond Jesus. This guy's no help anymore. Jairus, just pack it up. Give it up. Go home. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, to Jairus, 
do not fear, but believe. They say, give it up. The teacher can't help you. Go home and grieve. And Jesus says, hold on. Don't quit, quit fearing the worst and continue believing what you believed a few minutes ago when you first came to me. Jesus knows that Jairus came to him and prostrated himself on the floor. Jairus came to Jesus believing that Jesus was the answer to his problem. Jesus, Jairus had expressed some faith in who Jesus was, and now he's told his daughter is dead. Now he's told, just give it up. And Jesus is reminding him, no, don't go on fearing for the worst, but go continue in believing and having faith in me. In the face of this tragic news, I'm not sure I could imagine any more tragic news that I could receive as the father of 11 and 13. In the face of this tragic news, Jairus has the opportunity to publicly demonstrate, to continue to demonstrate his faith in Jesus. He has this opportunity to act in belief, to continue following Jesus to his house with hopefulness. Jairus has this opportunity to express his faith. Verse 37, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John and the brother of James. I'll just interject here really quickly, but um, toward the end of our verse, we'll, down toward the end of this passage, we'll see too that he, Jesus asks them to keep it secret what he's done. And I know that some of you are tracking with our st study through the book of Mark and you've noticed, what's up with this? Why is Jesus so secretive? He does this cool stuff and then he tells them, don't tell anybody. He heals people. He, and then last week, the man with the, possessed by demons is delivered from the demons and Jesus goes, hey, go tell everybody. So what's going on? Honestly, there's lots of different possible answers. Honestly, there's a little bit of mystery here. Why Jesus' comments are, are different at different times, but it could be in some cases, I think, as simple as this. Jesus isn't interested in, in, a, in a bunch of, of shallow followers. He's not interested in attracting a crowd just because he does cool stuff. Are you, you see what I'm saying? He's not necessarily wanting thousands of people to get to know him just because, oh, hey, he's feeding people and he's healing people. And Jesus wants people to get the big picture of God's kingdom and of finding our way into God's kingdom and finding new life in Jesus Christ. So, so perhaps it's just that Jesus doesn't want things, the spectacular to distract the crowds. Um, there's other explanations as well, and maybe we'll mention some of those as we continue to study. Verse 38, they came to the house of Jairus and Jesus saw a commotion, people uh, weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, Jesus said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And, and probably as many of us would have done, verse 40 says, they laughed at him. They're mourning. They're going into traditions of weeping and wailing and mourning the death of this young girl. They know she's dead. And Jesus says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. But you know who said that? The God-man who in the great storm brought great calm. The God-man who, uh, with a man possessed by a legion of demons, brought great calm. And here faced 
with the tragic death of a young girl, the God-man can bring calm sleeping rather than death. But as they got to his house, do you think reality would have smacked Jairus in the face? I feel like Jairus was going, hey, Jesus, you can help me. Would you come? Okay, cool. We're going. Whoops, we got this delay. I'm getting a little frustrated. Okay, good. Jesus is coming with me to help my daughter. I'm trying to have faith. Oh, they told me he's dead. She's already dead. Ah, I'm, I'm, here we go. I'm trying to have faith, Jesus. You can help me. Can you imagine getting to the house and people are wailing and mourning and and then laughing at Jesus? Jairus continues to have an opportunity to act on his belief, to demonstrate trust, trust in Jesus. If there's any situation to cling to Jesus, Jairus is in it. Jesus put all of the people outside, um, I'm back in verse 40, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Verse 41, taking the girl by the hand, Jesus said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the, the reason that it says talitha kumi, by, by, by the way, is, is Aramaic words. So the rest of this passage is written in Greek in the original language. And of course, in our Bibles in front of you, it's translated into English. But the rest of it is Greek. And then there's this phrase in Aramaic, talitha kumi. And you know what it's another indication of? It's another indication of an eyewitness account. Because Peter was there. Peter heard what Jesus said, and then Peter told these stories to Mark, who wrote them down so that we could read them. Talitha kumi. Peter was there. He heard Jesus' words. She says, little girl, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Isn't that where we should cheer or something? And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) I'm not sure how they're supposed to keep this one secret. There's people outside wailing and mourning. They know she was dead. Hey, guys, don't tell anybody. And then the little girl runs out of the house and plays in the street with her neighbors. Whoa, don't tell anybody. So who knows what Jesus was up to? Telling him not to tell anybody, but. What does God want us to learn? So what do we want to learn this morning from God's word? Um, First, I want to talk really quickly about these two people that we've been talking about, Jairus and uh, the woman who was bleeding and is no longer bleeding. Uh, These are two completely different people. These two people are are from opposite ends of the social spectrum, the religious spectrum, the social spectrum, the economic spectrum. Did I say social twice? That was cool. Uh, Economic spectrum, completely opposite people. Jairus is a male. He's a leader. He's a man of distinction. He's a man of means. He has a name. One of the few um, side characters that Mark names for us. He has honor. He approaches Jesus directly, although he certainly does it in a respectful and deferential way. On the other hand, you have this woman 
who seems to be a nobody, who literally in our passage is, is nameless. She approaches Jesus indirectly. She's, she's penniless. She's broke. Uh, one of the commentators I studied this week called her walking pollution because of her uncleanness and her outcastness. This woman is isolated, and she, seeking Jesus, not, not directly but indirectly, kind of sneaks up for help. But you know what I love? As different as those two people are, and as different as their approaches are, neither gained any advantage of getting care from Jesus. Does that make sense? Despite their differences, despite their different approaches, both receive grace and, re- and, and rescue and healing from Jesus. The only thing those two had in common, the only thing that those two had in common was that they had heard about Jesus, that they were desperate for help, and they, and they had run out of options, so they came to Jesus. That's what those two have in common. And you know what? I've heard of Jesus. I'm in desperate need of help. And when I keep trying things on my own efforts and my own power and my own smarts and my own money, and those things fail, I'm out of options too. How about you? Have you heard of Jesus? Do you have desperate need of help? We, rec- we need to recognize our need. Jairus and the woman both recognized their need. And I think faith comes from, faith comes to us, faith comes as we recognize that Jesus is all we need. We find ourselves with faith in him. We find ourselves enabled to entrust our lives to him as we recognize that he is all we need, that Jesus is sufficient, that his grace is enough. And I'm not just talking about the physical. Plenty of us have physical ailments and disease and things that we would love to lay at the feet of Jesus and ask for his help with, and we should. But our bigger need, mine and yours, is our sinful rebellion against God that has alienated from us from the Creator, that has broken our relationship that God desires to have with us. We are all a disaster apart from Him because we're stuck in our sin. We need to recognize our need. We need to really do work in here and in here and like the woman did, come to Jesus and tell the whole truth. Tell everything about myself. Come out of the dark and into the light. Find somewhere where I can tell the truth about my life to fellow, fellow people, humans, followers of Jesus, and to our great God himself. We need to recognize our need because God's kingdom is being established and to be part of it. God's kingdom is being established. God's rule and reign is being established and will one day be complete when Jesus returns. Are you with me? God's kingdom is being established and being in or out of that kingdom depends on what, who we say Jesus is. God's kingdom is being established and being in or out depends on having a serious, personal continuing relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So we need to recognize our need and we need to go to Jesus in faith. I love in the passage that we just studied how Jairus and the woman go to Jesus. They find him. They come to him. They put themselves at his feet. They talk with him. They ask him. They express their needs. We need to recognize our need, and then we need to run to Jesus in faith. And, and friends, our faith doesn't need to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to understand every word of our Bible. The woman was a little superstition, was superstitious and was trying to touch his clothes. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect, but true and proper faith is directed toward Jesus. And we direct our faith elsewhere. I know I'm not the only one that sometimes directs my faith to places it shouldn't be. Finding meaning in what I do, finding meaning in what I accomplish, finding meaning in, in my friendships and my family relationships. Those are good things, but is, if that's where our faith is, then it's misdirected because proper and true faith are directed toward the God-man, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize our need. We need to go to Jesus. And we go despite obstacles. We go despite scorn or opposition. It's easy to sit in here from 10.30 a.m. to 11.45 a.m. and have faith in Jesus Christ. But when you go wherever you're going to go tomorrow morning to school or to work or you talk to your neighbor next door, are we going to stand firm in our convictions that Jesus is all we need Monday through Friday? It's easy to have faith in here for an hour. We're at, let's ask God to strengthen our faith so that we will stand firm in the conviction that Jesus, the God-man, is all everyone in our lives needs. And faith is, is, is acted upon. Faith isn't just thinking. Faith isn't just understanding something about Jesus. We see in our, in our passage that Jairus and the woman acted on their faith. They came to him. They prostrated themselves. They reached out. And so we as followers of Jesus, are, are, we, are we stepping out, acting on our faith is it just something we've heard? Is it just something we've thought about? Is it just something we say, well, I have a private internal faith. I, have a, I, I think about Jesus. Or are we acting upon our faith and stepping out to find him, stepping out to obey him, stepping out to share the good news about him? Risking, being bold, trusting that the God-man is with us. That's faith in action. So we need to recognize our need. We need to go to Jesus in faith. So if I go to Jesus in faith, then, if I go to Jesus in faith and I ask him for what I need, then, then everything will work out how I want, right? Oh, I'm sorry. No. In this passage, the woman is healed of her bleeding. In this passage, a little girl is raised from death to life. But we live in a world that is broken and fallen because of the entrance of sin into the world. We live in a world that still has the effects of evil and sin and death. So, so we, of course, probably know this from our experience that even our sincere faith and even our most bold prayers and even our most honest requests of our great God don't always get answered the way we hope, right? They don't always come with healing, or resurrection. But 
I want to make sure you don't miss it, though. This passage, though, does remind and affirm and, affirm and teach us that God is with those who suffer and grieve. God is with you who are suffering and grieving. And even if a miracle doesn't come in your life, even if a miracle doesn't come at your prayer request, that doesn't lessen God's great power to save. Because God is at work in his perfect timing for his glory and our good. And I think more importantly than answering our prayers the way we would want him to or, you know, the way we hoped him to, more important than that, than receiving healing for our physical needs, through faith in Jesus, we can cross from death to life. We need to recognize our need. We need to run to Jesus. And like Jairus' daughter, who crossed from death to life, And like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, crossed from death to life through her faith in Jesus, we can too. There's a line in our statement of faith that expresses what this church family believes in. There's a line in our statement of faith that says this, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever someone who's not a follower of Jesus, assigning them to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment. But assigning the believer, the follower of Jesus, to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. And I want you to stand right now and I want us to read a Bible verse together. There's going to be a verse on the screen from John chapter 5, verse 24. And I want us to read this together. Because we need to recognize our need. We need to run to Jesus. And in doing so, if you place your trust, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will cross from death to life. So read this with me. Truly, truly, I say to you. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Let's start over. Jesus speaking, ready? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he is passed from death to life. Father God, we have heard about Jesus. We have heard about Jesus for for many years, some of us. We have heard about Jesus this morning for others of us. And Father God, we desperately desire to be rescued. We desire to be healed, yes, but even more Father, we desire to be rescued from sin and death, and we have run out of options. God, I speak for myself, and yet I know there are others in this room who are out of options, who have have tried other methods, who have gone to other people, who have put their faith in different things. God, we are out of options. Give us ears to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize our need because of our sin and because of our rebellion against you. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would work in my heart and in hearts and lives in this room. Enable us to trust you. Not just just once in the past, but God, I pray that you would enable me to express faith, to act on my faith daily, hourly, 
God, I pray for my friends in this room that you would help us by your Spirit's power, that you would enable us to rely on you for all we need, even in the face of tragedy, even in the face of difficult circumstances. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have passed from death to life. Father, we thank you that because of the perfect life, the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the victorious resurrection of your Son, we thank you that his new life shows us that we too can have new life now and everlasting life in the life to come. So Father, as the ushers come now and we, and we give our gifts, we give our offering, God, would you help us to give with cheerfulness and generosity and sacrifice because of, our, because of an overflowing thankfulness to you for all that you have done. And Father, as we lift our voices to worship you, God, I pray that we would do so out of overflow of all that you've done for us. As you've poured out your love to us, would you fill us with your love, would you, would you remind us of the good news of the gospel of Jesus? And so that as we lift our voices now, as we worship you this morning, as we live for you in the coming days, Father, may we do so out of a thankful adoration for all you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.